the average of the polls yeah. almost identically. So for what yeah, it is, you're I, right. I, one of the winners last night, I think, is the polling. Um, yeah. We're going to get into all this here coming up here on The Hill. Thanks, buddy. We'll, uh, we'll see you here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to The Hill here on News Nation. So what comes next? Donald Trump wins in a rout in Iowa and will be holding a campaign event here in moments. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, beaten by 30, but they say they ain't going anywhere. New Hampshire now has its moment in the spotlight, but is this all merely one more curtain call for Trump? Or did last night open up even more questions? Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Chris Steyerwald, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, Mick Mulvaney, former Trump White House chief of staff and News Nation contributor. Here in studio, Sean Spicer, former Trump White House press secretary and host of the Sean Spicer Show podcast. Ashley Davis is a former George W. Bush White House official. Michael Starr Hopkins, Democratic strategist. And Johanna Mosca, former Obama campaign official and News Nation contributor. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Just like that, we are on the move to Spicer's neck of the woods. Live look right now, Atkinson, New Hampshire. Donald Trump set to take the stage following last night's win in Iowa. As the focus, you can see it there, now shifts to the Granite State and the country's first in the nation primary. After all the buildup, all the storylines, and finally, all the votes, we start tonight with these two numbers and one question. 51% and... 110,298. Let me explain both. The former president, Donald Trump, receiving 51% of the vote share in Iowa last night, making it, no matter how you look at it, you have to view this as a no-doubter against the final two challengers in the field, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. But considering, uh, as for the other number, roughly 110,000, that's how many Iowans voted last night in absolutely brutal weather conditions. But consider the previous three contested caucuses. In 2016, more than 186,000 Republicans caucused in Iowa. 2012, that number was about 121,000. In 2008, right there as well, 119,000, all higher than last night's attendance. So it leads to this one question. Is what we saw last night a sign of strength or maybe a weakness? And with it, what comes next? Hello to you all. There is a lot to chew on. I was thinking, you know, those two, those two numbers um, maybe set the scene, or at least set the, set the stage for sort of where to jump off here. Uh, Chris Steyerwalt, you're still in Iowa. Mick Mulvaney, come on in as well. Uh, let's start with you two. I'm wondering what you made of that lead-in, Chris. Am I on to something there? I'm, I'm smelling what you're smoking. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> uh, and, it is, and it is an interesting question. Uh, the, the same number of votes that Donald Trump got, or, and as of this counting, there's still a, a, a few out there, uh, but the same number of votes that Donald Trump has recorded in this caucus got him 51% of the vote. You know what it would have been in 2016? It would have only been good for 30% of the vote. So if just to put in scale how much smaller the turnout uh, was. Now, some of that is the weather. Some yeah, of that true. is the, uh, the ill-conceived idea of holding this on Martin Luther King Day, 
the third day of a three-day weekend. There's a, lot, there's a lot of external reasons. But there's also this. The Republicans are over this. I've been coming out here for months and months in this, doing focus groups, talking to people. For most people in the Republican Party, they're, they're not looking for a hot and spicy battle uh, through up to the convention and, and, and have this struggle. They're ready to move on and focus on the general election. And Donald Trump basically functions like an incumbent. So they stayed home and let the incumbent have his way. And, you know, Bob, Do- uh, Bob Dole 2.0. Mick is, is itching to get in here, Mick. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I'm smelling the same thing, but I thought it was Spicer's cologne, so I, I did not realize that was that's what we're talking about. Um, look, there's another couple of we'll factors as well. Okay, <laughs> I was been I was gotten smaller. I think they've lost nearly 100,000 people since a couple of years back. So it's a, just a smaller population to draw from. Plus, 9,000, 10,000 votes. That's the difference between last night and say four years ago, eight years ago. If all 10, if 10,000 more people show up last night and every single one of them votes for Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, those folks still lose by 20 points. So I, I hear what everybody's saying, but look, this is a victory for Trump. It just is. I don't care if it's 110,000, 200,000. There's all sorts of factors that contribute to those numbers. Nobody cares about the turnout last night. If we cared about the number of people that showed up in Iowa, we wouldn't start in Iowa. You'd start in a much bigger state. So I hear all the discussion. It's a win okay. for Trump. We can talk about what it means to the other folks down the ballot. Oh, we're, we're going to. Sean? Well, I just I would say that based on Mick's last comment, that explains a lot of the HR concerns that have come out. But I'll, I'll leave that at that. I think it was a it was a it was a big night uh, for Trump for three reasons. He beat expectations, regardless of the turnout. If he hadn't got 51 percent, the media would have been all over it. The other candidates would have said he got half uh, less. He still beat the highest turnout was uh, was 41 percent. He exceeded that. 12.8 percent was the largest margin of victory. He blew that away. It was a big night. Uh, also, Vivek dropping out and endorsing yeah. him. Trump saw him eating into some of that lead. Every single person who's voting for Vake Ramaswamy is, is a Trump voter. Uh, and now, how much he picks up, uh, I at least think that's where the field goal going forward, at least three, four points going uh, into New Hampshire, at least. And then lastly, Ron DeSantis getting second place keeps us a multi-candidate race. That's crucial for Trump. He doesn't want to go one-on-one with Nikki Haley. He doesn't want to have to answer those so, questions. Keeping it multi-candidate gives Trump, right now, his real clear politics average in New Hampshire is 43.5. Nikki's at 29. He's got a 14-point lead. If you give him a few extra points and he gets to 50% there, DeSantis takes 10-15. He goes. He keeps moving forward, um, and and just if there's no oxygen for anyone. I still maintain he doesn't get. No so, one else gets to uh, to super two. So you so you are part of Nikki Haley's orbit. Um, would you would you tell Ashley that that Nikki Haley's done at this point or, or no? I mean, we talked about it earlier. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I don't think she she has money to go on. But here's the problem. Her home state, which she really wants to go to, she is down thirty point two percent to Trump. Right. I mean, that's what she wants to get to. Right, is, is to, to a point where she gets blown out in the state that so she tell, was going I'm not ready to underestimate Nikki, Haley. Nikki yet. I mean, okay, I think, first look. of all, I do want to say, can we talk about Chris's bow tie? It's very cute. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring that up in a minute. Um, <laughs> HR. I can dress down. Me, the way Fox is I think the biggest thing that happened over the weekend was the poll that's saying that she was up, you know, raising four points in that poll and then beating DeSantis by two or whatever it was. So it raised expectations. She's been in third place pretty much all along, with, but she has this recent surge. New Hampshire's always been her state. I think at the messaging added today with her not willing to 
acknowledge that DeSantis is pretty much in the race anymore and that she's running against Donald Trump and nobody else is an interesting dynamic. She's not going to be debating him anymore, as she said today. And I don't think the president's going to ever debate her. But she's making this a two-person race. And there's polls. I know that's real clear, clear politics, but there's another poll out today that they're tied 40-40. I mean, there's polls all over the place. So Democrat. people, though. I'm sorry. This, this whole, there's a reason that Americans distrust their media. 56,000 people came out in support of Trump. This is supposedly this overwhelming enthusiasm of people who I know know how to put on, you know, the the chains on their tires if they need to get to a polling site. 56,000 people was all he got out last night. So you're saying there's lack uh, of enthusiasm for Trump. It's it's it should be absolutely concerning. This is as the stories are coming out that the RNC is struggling with money, that you know, you're seeing that Young people. It was like the percentage of young people who turned up for the Republicans was at a low. This should be major Michael. flag. I think you Michael, should what? come to the Republicans. Yeah, I'm like, 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 <laughs> the Republicans. Thank you. Actually, not take it. Here's what I appreciate I'll say. your concern. Two thousand, two thousand people are the difference of Nikki Haley between DeSantis yeah, like and now, and now everybody's writing her off like she has no chance. I just right, don't Mike, understand. Michael, that. let me just say the real winner last night was Democrats. The longer Republicans See, that's sit what you back, mean. you should have called Michael and each other. The longer Democrats get to sit back and plan ads, get to have tape of Republicans criticizing each other and use it towards the general election. What Democrats are going to have a hard time on is when Republicans actually hone in, have one candidate, and aren't fighting within the party, but are fighting towards uh, Democrats. And Look, that's, I, I, that's I would normally agree with Michael on that. But the difference is with Trump and Biden, if they're, they're the ultimate nominees, everyone knows everything about the two of them, yeah. right? There's nothing new that's going to come and say, hey, here's the Chris Christie ad saying he's, I mean, just. But for down ballot Democrats, that's really where this race is. So, okay. I, we started. Same with our side. Too. So we started off with uh, the two numbers. Here was something I saw today. And, and we'll leave, I'll leave you with this thought. It is the return on their Iowa investment. Basically, if you took the money that was spent and you compare that to the percentages that each of these candidates got, let me show you how that breaks down real quick. Donald Trump spent $352,000 on average per every percentage point. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis were at $1.5 and $1.87 million. God, that's that's sickens, always that sickens me. Does it sicken you? <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, I see essentially there, you could argue, efficiency for Donald Trump. Well, Just well, another yeah, ticket center. Come on. We, More every, money than no? Donald Trump's been defined for how many years now? The other candidate, too, are trying to define themselves. But I mean, also, that doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother you at all. Money well, it bothers America? me that we could, like, solve world hunger with how much money <laughs> yes. we spend okay. on politics. <laughs> all right. Yes. So yes. Now, now to the other side of the aisle. <laughs> President Biden has a predicament uh, of his own making right now in New Hampshire. The president actually not listed on next week's Democratic primary ballot. That, if you're wondering why is because he wanted South Carolina to host the Democrats' first sanctioned primary. Remember, South Carolina is basically uh, the state that launched his campaign last go-around. So the president is refusing to have his name listed in New Hampshire. Supporters are afraid of a symbolic loss and are mounting a write-in campaign. So, uh, Chris, Mick, come on back. Because the president is not going to be on the ballot there in New Hampshire next week. I was reading Jim Messina uh, Obama world basically making the point, you know, Lisa Murkowski, the senator in Alaska uh, in 2010, she got 39 percent in a in a writing campaign there. And I said, wait a minute, is he 
comparing the president of the United States to a sitting United States senator. Anyways, that brings up other questions about about Biden. But look at this new poll from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. State of Georgia, going to be a key state. Donald Trump, 45. Joe Biden, 37. We asked the question about strengths and weaknesses right off the top. Uh, How would you apply that right now to, to Joe Biden as he's sitting here today, Chris? Uh, If Joe Biden was as strong as Lisa Murkowski is in Alaska, he wouldn't have any trouble getting reelected this year. Um, But he's not. Uh, He certainly is not. And the trap game of New Hampshire. And we remember this from one of Joe Biden's predecessors, Lyndon Johnson, who wasn't on the ballot in uh, New Hampshire either. I I will not bore you with all of the details, but it basically came down to this. In a symbolic loss, he didn't even really lose, but his challenger got a big enough percentage that it scared Lyndon Johnson out of the race. And after the New Hampshire primary in 1968, Lyndon Johnson stunned the world and dropped out of, out of the contest. Now, I don't think Dean Phillips is going to do that, right? I don't think discount liquor heir Dean Phillips is on his way to excellence uh, and reshaping the Democratic Party. But I do think that the risks for a real embarrassment for Biden in New Hampshire are real, and they better have a good organization on the ground to get a ton, a ton of write-ins so that you can turn this risk into a positive so they can say, he wasn't even on the ballot and he won. Right. Mm-hmm. Mick, real quick. Yeah, real quick. I'll leave it to uh, Johanna and, uh, and uh, Michael to talk about the Democrats. That Georgia number fascinates me because that's a state I've watched very closely. I've talked to the Republicans down there, Republican members of the Congress. They've told me from the very beginning they thought Trump would struggle in Georgia because of the way he treated Governor yeah. Brian Kemp during Brian Kemp's reelection. They told me six months ago they didn't think there was a way possible for Trump to win Georgia because of the animosity of Georgia Republicans over that race. So to see that number coming out of Georgia tells me that maybe things have yeah. changed there or maybe Joe Biden is just that unpopular in Georgia. It's interesting. And Mick, uh, I was going to bring up because Chris brought up the uh, liquor money Dean Phillips, it's schnapps money, to be specific, and then it's vodka money, and Dear Abby lineage. He's very interesting, but nobody on the Democratic side knows who he is or claim him as a Democrat because they don't know who he is until, I guess, New Hampshire, and then they'll be like, who's Dean Phillips? Um, You know, I, I think what Dean is saying is there should have been a robust primary. We should have had a robust primary. It would benefit us. DNC's not allowing that. No, because we're at at this point, exactly, it's an incumbent advantage. So they're saying it's incumbent advantage. It doesn't really matter if Joe Biden wins the write-in campaign. It's not even his campaign. Can I just tell you this? I'm sorry, Ashley. The number that came out over ABC over the weekend, when asked, does Joe Biden have the mental sharpness to be president, only 28% of Americans said yes, 69 said no. Unless he becomes Benjamin Button, that's going to become an enduring problem for this campaign that they can't fix. And that's going to hurt him in Georgia and every other battleground state because being old and something that you can physically see with your own eyes, the mental and physical decline of him is going to be a problem that they can overcome. Okay. All right. I, I got to run. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot to talk about here. I didn't even yeah, get Michael. 20% of the Michael people talk about the said they, wouldn't, they didn't know if they could vote for either. Right. Real quick. You're good. You're good. We're good. We're good. We'll get to it. We got a lot of time. A lot of time to talk. All right. Uh, By the way, all uh, eyes on the New Hampshire primary now. So, uh, what are the keys for victory to for Donald Trump? Uh, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis. Steyerwalt breaks it down on the other side of the break. And there is a host of news elsewhere. Did you see this? Protesters calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, in the capital. Today, days after protesters who shook the gates of the White House over the weekend. So, do you take issue? 
with that and little to no action at all. Why do you think that is? Other side of the break when we return. Welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So the uh, political attention now turns to New Hampshire. We're one week from today, by the way. Voters in the Granite State will get their turn. So what did we learn last night? And really, let's, let's look forward here. What does it mean for the three remaining Republicans who are going to be crisscrossing New Hampshire? Steyerwalt, back here to break it all down. Chris? Okay, so back to Professor Berman's thesis. Here, let's look at this first number. Uh, The 186,932 versus 110,298. That's the difference in turnout. So 70,000, 75,000 mammals uh, fewer. Okay, Uh, we talked about the reasons why that would be so. Um, But there's another reason that that would be so, in addition to the weather and in addition to Trump's lead, in addition to Martin Luther King Day. And look at this. Look at the endorsement list. Here you go. Oh, my gosh. Why, it almost looks like Donald Trump is the favorite of the Republican establishment. It almost looks like he has been coron- he is being coronated by all of these members of Congress, all of these senators, uh, including people like Marco Rubio, who Donald Trump once uh, crushed and ground into the earth with his boot heel, no pun intended. Uh, the broad Republican establishment has swung in behind Donald Trump. And in fact, he's running almost like an incumbent. He's got the establishment support. He goes to Iowa. The folks stay home and he comes out to win. Who does that remind you of? This guy. Look at here. Look at this guy. Remember this guy? That guy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, George W. Bush in 2000, uh, he did that. Uh, he did exactly what Donald Trump did in a low turnout election in Iowa. He brought together the requisite coalition and he was putting, I love that one. My gosh, don't you miss that guy. Um, but he put together this broad coalition and that was broad enough to win for the insider's choice. Okay, there you go. That's George Bush. Now, what happened to George Bush? You remember this? He left Iowa. He went to New Hampshire. What happened in New Hampshire? John McCain rode the Straight Talk Express right up W's uh, uh, umlaut and dealt Bush an embarrassing loss in New Hampshire. Might that happen again? Let's look here at the DDHQ polling average. Let's see what that says. Okay, and I think Haley, uh, as uh, Ashley alluded to, I think Haley's position is probably a little stronger than that, and as a polling average trues out over time, uh, she's, we would say, more than in striking distance for a potential New Hampshire win. So what's Ronnie D. doing? Is he going to wait for 38 days or whatever it is to get to uh, South Carolina? Or no, he's 32 days to South Carolina. And then is he going to wait for another couple weeks after that to get to Florida to just hang around here? He doesn't have a shot at a win anywhere. Haley, at least, can say that she's got a shot at a win here. And if she wins in, in New Hampshire, maybe she can take it to South Carolina. So I want you to think about what Ron DeSantis is thinking about. What is going on in Meatball's mind? Well, look at these dudes. You will remember all of these dudes. Look, here's your, here's your tableau. Caleb, the wonder producer, put together this tableau of the ghosts of caucuses past for Republicans. And here they are. On one side, you have people who came up short. And what happened to them? They went on to be their party's nominee. Then you have people on the other side who didn't. Uh, and for a variety of reasons, Rick Santorum, Pat Buchanan, they hung in the race. They stayed and chased throughout. It wasn't going to get them a win. 
but it did shape the party. It did raise the profile of certain factions. It did do those things. Here's your takeaway. Ron DeSantis has a choice to make about whether he thinks he can bitter end this sucker and keep Nikki Haley from getting into second place and try to enhance his own chances for 2028, which would be the calculated thing to do. Uh, will he do that or will he get out of the way and let Haley have a little open field running? My money's on self-interest in politics. That's my bet mm-hmm. is that Ron DeSantis would rather finish second than her. But we will find out in another cold state soon. Steyerwalt. Breaks it down. Chris, thank you. Uh, with, with that as sort of the backdrop, I just want to go around real quick. Um, and Mick, maybe let's, let's start with you remotely. Um, how long do you think Ron DeSantis sticks around for? I think he's trying to figure, uh, find a way to get to Florida, get to Super Tuesday. Um, okay. Keep in mind, Steyerwalt's right. Um, he's still going to be governor after this, so he's got a way to stay relevant. Nikki Haley does not, so she has to stay in it longer than DeSantis does. How, how long do you think he sticks, stays around for? He'd be smart to save his political capital and get out. I don't know that he's proven smart. I think he gets out before South Carolina. Okay. Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. I have the gut feeling that if he does really bad in New Hampshire, that he Hmm. gets out. And just from money, and we were, Sean and I were talking about this before, and he may have more money than we think from a super PAC perspective, but, you know, he's burnt through a lot of cash. I'll just say this. I don't think he has much political capital left nationally or in Florida. I think it's 2028. He's burned uh, already. Uh, Super Tuesday is March 5th. I mean, 874 delegates at stake. Florida is the 19th of March, where that's 125 delegates. There's no way he makes it to Florida. I say he's out before Super Tuesday. Chris Steyerwalt, safe travels, my man. Thank you, sir. We'll, We'll see you back here soon. Thanks, Chris. See you soon, my friend. Yeah, uh, a programming note, by the way, starting on Monday, Elizabeth Vargas reports moves to an earlier time, uh, this time, five o'clock Eastern here on News Nation. Then stay tuned afterwards as we move to six o'clock, the Hill on News Nation, six Eastern, five Central. Uh, it all starts Monday right here on News Nation. So we'll see you at six starting on Monday. Coming up, by the way, uh, have you seen what's gone on in the state of Texas? It really is. The feds versus the state down at the border. The governor has kind of taken over there. So what is the next move? I'll speak with a Republican uh, congresswoman. She represents one of the biggest borders down there in Texas. That is on the other side of the break when The Hill returns. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So the Justice and Homeland Security Departments are now doubling down against the state of Texas. Filing today a second memorandum regarding the state's takeover of city-owned riverfront property following the drowning of three migrants on Friday. Now, that filing says, quote, at approximately nine in the evening, Mexican officials advised Border Patrol of two migrants in distress on the U.S. side of the river. Mexican officials also informed Border Patrol agents that three migrants, one woman and two children, had drowned at approximately eight o'clock in the same area. There's a back and forth going on now as to who is responsible for the deaths of those three people. Joining us now is the Republican Congresswoman from the state of Texas, Monica De La Cruz. She is also from Brownsville, uh, a city located, as you might know, on the border. I believe the furthest southeast you could go there, at least the congressional district. Congresswoman, uh, thank you for being back here on the Hill. Uh, appreciate the time. So Greg Abbott basically telling, telling the feds to step, to step aside, saying, we got this. Right move? Well, what he's telling the feds is he's telling them, do your job. And if you're not going to do it, I am. 
And Governor Abbott is doing exactly what he was elected to do, to protect our citizens of Texas, to protect our border. And he's using the means available to do so. I hope it sends a clear message to the Biden administration that they need to do their job and to put border security policies that work, like the remain in Mexico policy and ending the catch and release policy. So this is uh, the governor saying, look, you know, our 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 officers, our officials, this is our area. They're the ones that are going to be handling this. When, Congresswoman, then does this become Greg Abbott's? Responsibility, because I just heard you talk about the Biden administration. At some point, if you if you shove the feds aside, aren't the results for better or worse on him at some point in time? Well, it's unfortunate that the Biden administration has failed to border communities like mine, failed Texans, and quite truly failed all Americans. Thank God that Governor Abbott is stepping up to the plate to secure our border. It's unfortunate that the Biden administration continues to turn a blind eye on 10 million illegal immigrants who have. I hear you. But when does this become his responsibility then? Well, Governor Abbott is taking the bull by the horns, as they say it in Texas, and securing the border. That's why he has sent the National Guard, Texas DPS, to the border to help Border Patrol and others secure our border. Uh, Back here in Washington, there is a pretty big meeting over at the White House tomorrow. President Biden and the big four congressional leaders, as you know, Congresswoman, they're trying to put together some sort of a a border deal in exchange for uh, funding for Ukraine funding for Israel. Um, What would you be willing to support on the Ukraine front, as there are some in your party who who want to cut off funding? What are you willing to support on the Ukraine front, front in order to get what you want down at the southern border? Look, border security has been what I've talked to Speaker Johnson about and others. We must secure our border. We are in a very slim majority What, two votes now to our House majority. We don't have the White House and we don't have the Senate. I believe that Speaker Johnson is a great leader and has the negotiating power to use the tools available to him to get us the border security that we need. And we need it now. I look forward to hearing in conference what Speaker Johnson is actually going to come up with. Congresswoman De La Cruz, we got to leave it there. Uh, we hope you come on back. Thanks for joining us uh, live from Brownsville in Texas, I believe. Thanks, Congresswoman. What you, would you hear from her and what would you what would you say to her? Look, I think Democrats and Republicans have to come together, together on this. For Democrats, this is an albatross around their neck heading into 2024. And for Republicans, this isn't a scenario that's really going to help them in the long run either. I know it's something they can fundraise off of now. But the second something happens, someone crosses the border and there's some sort of terrorist attack, the second that we see increases in things, it's going to hurt Republicans too. Why, wait, why would it hurt Republicans? But that's yeah. the problem. That's the problem, Sean, in saying why would it hurt Republicans. No, no, I, this is I, a just failed— Just so you know, Michael this, said it. I asked <laughs> but, but no, it's a failed—like when, when you're saying—when Abbott's saying, I'm taking over— Yes. And I, I'm not letting the feds in— Michael's saying, well, and when somebody comes in through that portion and you're not coordinated but with they the won't federal let the agencies. Feds won't let Texas do its job. At no. the end of the day, the, this administration has utterly failed to protect this country. And you, you go, well, if something happens, Greg Abbott at least is stepping up to the plate and willing to do something about the problem that is. Who's got the majority in the House? 
The, ha- the, okay. the Republicans the, 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 in the Senate has said that And they passed H.R. 2. And they're trying to put together legislation in the Senate that they can pass Do you realize what the, the, what the, what the, what the Senate, Senate that's bill. controlled by Democrats and this administration want is more money to process more people in. What Republicans stand for is border security, keeping people, terrorists, they, fentanyl out of this country. It is they're, the law that we have to process separate, people. This is two Absolutely. separate approaches. <laughs> I, I just... I, no, I'm like... Um, I, yeah, I'm no, like all right for the No, 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 no. I'm all for it. Because as I said yesterday, what scares the me the most is the amount of people that are coming across this border that are terrorists. Yes. Exactly what happened in not yeah. 2000 and it's going to happen again hey, and we're going to have a terrorist attack. Hey Mick, so, sorry, no, go, okay. no, go for no, 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 But Mick, I, I wanted to get your thoughts. What you're listening to now and what you just heard from the congresswoman is, is that probably why, I don't know probably why, but <laughs> I, 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 well, why I'm yeah. pessimistic as to, you know, some sort of major big deal compromise going, coming forward? Well, I mean, is any is Washington sort of the place where big compromises get done right, right. now? Uh, you can you can see both sides of it, right? Which is that you'd like to think everybody wants to come together and fix the problem, but certainly there are going to be Republicans, just as there are on Democrats on other issues, who don't really want to fix it because they can use it politically. I get that. By the way, the Republicans are not the only people who do that. It's one of the reasons that Washington can't function right now. Look, I, I, I just wish there'd be more. The three people died, and that, that is a terrible, heart-wrenching thing, and I'm glad it's getting some attention. But where's the conversation about the hundreds, if not thousands, of people who are dying on the, on the way there through the Mexican desert, the women who are getting raped, the children who are getting killed? Where's that conversation? Who's responsible for that? Where, where, where's, where's the White House on that? It seems like everybody's been out of shape about these three people, and I get it. But there's a larger issue. This is a humanitarian crisis before they even get to the border, and no one seems to want to talk about that. Okay. That's right. why they're trying to get money to process asylum claims. Oh my no, God. we need to keep them out. No. Oh my but that's God. the problem. Then we're going to let them get raped. Put up a welcome mat for people to come in. And okay, go, so we don't care about them getting raped on the way to America. See the border as a fundraising tool that, and not yes. a political. No, oh not, my yes. God! And, a, and, and thus, it's the question I <laughs> asked to Mick because I, I bet you. I don't know, but I bet you these are sort of the attitudes and the conversations up on the hill. Compromising right? on national security. You don't compromise on national security. This shouldn't national be. National security. security. You never want to get anything done. Economic no, I want to actually secure the border. I want to. No but compromise. you have to compromise to get anything done. Oh my God. Democracy. The border. Like you have to yes. compromise. No, we need to enforce the laws that are on the books to keep people out of this country as well. That's what, what the Biden we administration is doing. We don't go around when we talk about getting on a plane and say, let's compromise on, on security to get on a plane. Let's figure out what we can, we, you know, we you go. That we want to time. You can no. take clear. You can take pre-check. You compromise. <laughs> no, that's we're going to be talking about this for, for quite some can time. I but another, I want. Can I have another bet, though? Is Governor Abbott, if there's a Republican president, that he'll be like DHS nominee for? Oh. You know, that's my random landscape. However, he'll never get through the Senate. I don't think that's a hot take. Close, but All right, I would put him at 2028 running for president hmm. more than I have, would put him serving in somebody's. Uh, but I think you're right. I mean, All right, want to want to show the folks at home um, uh, something that happened up here in Washington by the way. Uh, protest up on Capitol Hill. This was a Capitol Hill office building, one of, one of the big ones. Capitol Police arrested 130 protesters. They are calling for a ceasefire in the ongoing Israel-Hamas war. Now, it also comes after a massive pro-Palestinian protest in Washington, D.C. over the weekend. And you see this video? We've highlighted it there. Protesters were rocking some of the gates. This was in front of the White House, shaking back and forth some of the gates. 
Mitt, former White House Chief of Staff. Acting. Uh, acting. Mitt, former White <laughs> House Chief of Staff. I don't know that they actually yeah. met him into everything. Yeah, so. I, I, think, I think they did. The I think they did. Here, here, here's the question I want to ask you, Mick. Um, if they were wearing red MAGA hats, what would have happened? Um, it, it'd be in a, a, a lot more news coverage than it is right now. I mean, thanks for bringing it up. Uh, look, those people are lucky they didn't get shot. They, they really, really are. Sean and I have been there. We know what's happening. All the folks who were there, you're getting these, these orange alerts, these red alerts, all these heads up on what's going around, around the building. So it, every now and then some nut job will cross over the fence, and it's a big deal. If you've got a mob out there trying to actually break the fence down, that's, that's not that far removed from, from actually shooting people. So they're, they're lucky. It's a, it's a very foolish thing for them to do. It's, a, it's a, 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 to a credit to the White House to show some restraints and so forth and not go out there and start arresting them by the dozens. But that's a really, really bad idea. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure it helps move their cause in the right direction. Okay. All right. Coming up, still to come here from the Hill. Did you see this uh, earlier today? The CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, biggest bank here in the U.S., biggest banker. Jamie Dimon. And the the back of the head there, that is Vladimir Zelensky. What do you make of that image and that scene happening in Davos today? Thoughts from the panel on that. And by the way, check out our weekly newsletter, Decision Desk 24, our campaign view. You can subscribe with the QR code on your screen. Get a slice of of our show into your inbox. The Hill here on News Nation. Coming back in a few. Stay with us. So now to the latest accusations against Dr. Anthony Fauci and new comments from the senator from Kentucky, Rand Paul. Paul is uh, saying during an interview that Fauci should go to prison for being dishonest about the COVID-19 pandemic. The problem with Anthony Fauci also is he has a different answer in public than he has in private. In private, he admitted that the virus looked manipulated, and he also admitted that they were doing gain-of-function research in that lab. In public, he still denies it. He still denies that there was any uh, U.S. funding of the gain-of-function lab in Wuhan. But uh, he just hasn't been honest. So for his dishonesty, frankly, he should, he should go to prison. You two were shaking your head and exasperated. Yeah, 2008, President Bush gave him the, like, the Presidential Medal of Freedom because he had helped solve for AIDS in Africa. And here we are all turning against him because of a pandemic that was politicized, and it is disgusting. Rand Paul also is just a troll. Like, he, he has some personal vendetta with Fauci that we don't know about. I don't know. Maybe Fauci's the other neighbor that wants to beat him up. <laughs> I, I, I think, though, there's some real questions about how Anthony Fauci acted and, and what he said. Why was and what he, he in charge? Why was the president of the United States, Donald Trump, not in charge? Mick? You were the chief of staff because at that Anthony, point in time. <laughs> yeah, because, and I'm sorry, I'm sitting here, I want to jump through the camera, because Anthony Fauci was lying to the president of the United States. Period. End of story. I was running the, COVID, uh, the coronavirus task force before Mike Pence took over, and Tony Fauci lied to the president of the United States. Told me to go on television and tell people not to wear masks. I did that, okay? Later on, he said it was to protect the short, a shortage of supply in the masks. He never told me that. He never told the President of the United States that. He never told the President of the United States that it's it's not the typical response to shut down an economy. That's not the typical response, by the way. The typical response is to identify the most at-risk populations and isolate them so they're safe, so the rest of the economy could go on. He didn't tell the President that either. He lied to the President of the United States. Where I disagree with Rand is this. 
I'm not sure that's against the law. I'm not sure it's a felony. I'm not sure it's a crime to do that. If there's any justice in the world, Tony Fauci will be cast to the ash heap of history for leading to some of the worst mistakes that the United States federal government has ever made. But I'm not sure that by itself. No, but he also has a really hard time with what he did with anthrax as well, which no one brings up anymore. And he was in charge when when we had our anthrax scare. I just have a question for you guys who were there while it was going on. Do you really believe he lied or do you? Look, I think Mick just believe, laid it out. Yeah, I mean, like, we yeah. didn't know yeah. Can I just was... say this? Beyond what Mick said, last week in front of the coronavirus task force, he said that it is not likely based on scientific data, this notion of a six-feet separation. Years later, we find... I mean, hey, I'm making it up. Trust the science. But this, there we, was no science. It was a novel That's virus. That's lying. It was a novel virus. So, like, do you think so he was... don't mo- lie. Was well, he Mick, lying or was he basing it on what, what we information Mick, he just Mick, said? Mick, Mick, come not on. Not likely based I, on scientific Mick, data. Mick, what would you say? I absolutely believe that Tony Fauci believed that he knew better the president of the United States and that he was more prepared to make the decisions. Instead of giving the president the best available information and letting the president decide, he decided. And that's where I think he failed. And he failed the nation. Are you okay with still... To the Democrat, are you still okay with probing and getting answers? Yeah, absolutely. I'm all yes. I think it's necessary, but like okay. this, I just don't understand why the president of the United States doesn't take any responsibility for not investigating in China. He was the president. He could have poked and prodded. They would have asked President Obama to do that. And we did, you know, stop Ebola. So I just go back to this, like, you know, it's always Dr. Fauci's fault. It was probably an administration issue overseeing a novel yeah. coronavirus. Mick, there's probably some folks at home who are saying, you know what, Anthony Fauci wasn't the president of the United States, Donald Trump was the president of the United States, so doesn't the, whatever, blame, okay. <laughs> I, I just don't get this. I mean, the guy is I mean, that's, that, that's, a, that's, that's a reasonable question, job. no? The president of the United States relies on the head of agencies to give that's him right. the best. And when the guy who's the doctor the, and, and says, this is the basis of it, and trust me, I'm science, right. you believe him. If you Joe Biden if said I mean, that if, on if immigration, the would it be comes enough? To him and says, Mr. President, the intelligence says this. We need to act. You're going to trust the guys that are the experts. Fauci did not but, you know, base what? what he decided or what he advised the president in scientific data. That's a fact. He admitted it under oath in front of Congress last week. But no one can be an expert on a novel virus. It's a new thing. Then so say of course, it. Of course, we're going to say I don't know. We're going to quarter money. Mick, uh, last Monday quarterback the day after. Mick, last word. No, I think he failed. I think Sean's right. And how often do I say that? He failed as a staffer. He thought he was <laughs> the person okay. b- best in, in best position to make that decision. He's an unelected bureaucrat. He should have laid the options out for the president of the United States. He never did that. Yes. Okay. Uh, we'll leave it there. And I, and I would say to the audience at home, I would point out, you know, Mick was in the middle of all this. You heard what Mick had to say. But also for as, as animated and as passionate as Mick feels about this, again, you feel that it doesn't rise to the level of what Rand Paul is suggesting. Uh, That's correct. We'll leave it, we'll leave it there. Okay. Uh, by the way, saw this photo earlier today, uh, and I thought to myself, hmm, what do you make of this photo? Take a look. This is, of course, the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, shaking hands with J.P. Uh, Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. This happened in Davos, Switzerland. There's the big gathering there, uh, the World Economic Forum. And if they say a picture is worth a thousand words, I'm wondering... Give me 20 or 30 words on that picture. So I have always thought that Davos is out of touch with Oh, I've America, been there. I can tell you but, that. <laughs> but it was President Trump who actually went to Davos. And I thought it was an interesting decision. Look, Zelensky, Zelensky is 
desperate. He is trying to get support for a war that he is waging against Putin, who is super powerful and manipulating in a massive chess game. So he needs people who are influential, like Jamie Dimon, on his side. He's going to go. I you, still don't understand you why see, you guys... Unless no, Jamie Dimon's stroking a check, he doesn't need that. And what do you see in that picture? Well, no, it wasn't just Jamie either. It was every... I mean, he was meeting oh, Steve with Steve Schwartzman every, was there. That's, right, that's uh, Ray Dalio in the background. But, but I do money, agree money, with Sean, money. though. Obviously, he's hoping that they're going to write a check for money, but I don't know how you, he does that, and not yeah. to the amount that they need. No. Mick? Um, every Fortune 100 CEO thinks he or she would make a great president, and they wouldn't. That's what Mike I was going to say. President. <laughs> Jamie Dimon, 2028? Do you think that's what He's the, running. Okay. All right. <laughs> Mick, we got to leave it there with you. Um, hope your flight is on time, and, and you make it out tomorrow, and we'll see you here in person. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, thanks, thanks so much. Catch you tomorrow. All right, coming up, uh, speaking of flights, a judge blocks the merger of two major airlines. And did you see what the stock of spirit did today? My goodness. Final thoughts when we come back. The New Hampshire presidential primaries. News Nation Decision Desk 24 has you covered. Leland Vittert, Elizabeth Vargas, Chris Cuomo, Dan Abrams, and the best political team on TV. News Nation, Tuesday, January 23rd, 7 Eastern. Before we say goodbye, here are a couple stories that caught our eye with the nation's capital getting three to five inches of snow overnight. The D.C. Snowball Fight Association hosted an event on the National Mall called the Battle of Snopenheimer, uh, the morning's event, is the 16th snowball fight for the organization since 2010. There it is. And before we go, uh, looks like you might potentially maybe have a delay in your travel plans. Uh, a federal judge today blocked the $3.8 billion deal between JetBlue and Spirit Airlines, arguing a negative impact on consumers and a reduction in competition. The decision is a win for the Biden administration, which has actively opposed deals it believed that can harm competition like this. Spirit shares down 50% today on the news. Yeah, I don't really understand this one. If you like look at the airline industry, we've got the big three, and then you've got these little airlines that are trying to combine to compete. And so, you know, to block the little ones from being able to compete with the big ones seems like a weird way to to fight a the, the, Biden the Biden administration has said, sorry, the no, Biden no. administration has continually said they're going to stop these mergers. Yeah. Like, yeah. This so, is one I don't get. This isn't surprising. I don't get this yeah, one. I, yeah. Real quick, I want to go back to the snowball fight. I think that, <laughs> I think that snowball <laughs> fight was as lame as we respond to snow. We have one inch, the federal government shuts down, and that snowball fight this is, is pretty... This is We have like five or six inches snow. I, we can't I, even have a snowball can fight. Can I tell you how much I'm looking forward to going home to L.A. on my Alaska Airlines flight? I'll leave it there. Thank you all. Thank you at home for watching. Elizabeth Vargas Report starts right now. We'll see you tomorrow. Hello, everybody. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. This is News Nation, and we have a jam-packed hour for you. So let's get started. The Long Island serial killer charged with a fourth murder. Police say a single strand of hair linked Rex Hewerman to the scene. What other evidence was uncovered, and is it enough to prove he's guilty? We're all supposed to be ditching our old gas guzzlers.